Well, we are in week four of our series, Jesus is the Subject. And uh, before we dive into that, I want to have a little bit of fun and just ask you, what is the best part of attending church online? I know we'd all prefer to be together in the room, praising God together and seeing one another and greeting one another. But let's put a positive on this. What is the best part for you? And maybe you want to comment in the, sec- in the comment section below and let us know. I know last Sunday, Pastor Sandy mentioned that when you sing, everybody that you're singing with already knows that you can't carry a tune. And so maybe that's the best part for you. Maybe some of you are still in your PJs and you just love that you can sleep in and roll out of bed and go worship with us. Um, I had the thought that you know, nobody has complained about the volume or the temperature for three weeks because it's exactly how you want it right now. And if it's not, you can change it. So comment below. Maybe you have something else that you've thought of. We'd love to hear that. Um, But let us know what's the best part of church online. And as we uh, look at uh, this week's message, I just want to do a quick recap in case you've missed one of the other weeks. You can find those in the video section of our Facebook page or you can go to our website which is linwoodchurch.org, and click on the media tab and listen to the audio of those messages. We're also on iTunes podcast, so if you have that app on your phone or your iPad, you can find us there and uh, catch up in case you have missed one or more of these messages. We began the series by looking at the Gospel of Matthew. Each week we have looked at a different Gospel, and today uh, we'll continue that trend. And in Matthew's Gospel, we focused on this idea that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he declares that he is the Messiah, and that that was particularly um, pertinent to his Jewish audience, which the book of Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish audience by a Jewish writer. And the big idea that we had that week was that Jesus is the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. And you are the appointed one, that Jesus appointed us to go and make disciples. So he was anointed we are appointed. And that was the big idea from week one. Week two, we looked at the Gospel of Mark and how Mark presents Jesus as this suffering servant that, that even though they thought they were getting a conquering king, Jesus tries to convince the people throughout the Gospel of Mark that he will suffer and he will die. And that is how he will do what he was sent to do, overcoming not just Roman oppression, but sin and death for everyone forever. And so the idea, the big idea from that week was that surrendered suffering turns your mess into a message. And we can apply that to our specific con, uh, con our specific context right now uh, with COVID-19 and isolation that we're feeling and the fear and anxiety that we're feeling and this mess that we all find ourselves in. And if we'll surrender to that and we'll accept reality as it is, God can turn this mess into a message. And we're seeing that each week as more and more people are tuning in and participating in these live services. They're looking for a way to make this mess into a message for God's grace. Last week we looked at the Gospel of Luke and how Luke presents Jesus as the Son of Man and and focuses a little more on the humanity of Christ. And the big idea there was that for Jesus, you were the subject. That he made you and me and each of us in this whole world the subject of his suffering that we would be delivered, that we would be able to come into the family of God. 
And that is very good news. So today, as you might have guessed, we will be finishing up our study of each gospel and specifically the Jesus that it presents as we look at the gospel of John and how John presents Jesus as the Son of God. So last week we had the Son of Man and looked at the humanity of Christ. Today, with Jesus being the Son of God, we'll look at the other side of that coin, and it's the same coin that Jesus was the Son of God, fully divine. And not only is John the last gospel uh, in your New Testament, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, it's also the last gospel that was written. And it had the broadest audience, whereas Matthew was written mostly to a Jewish audience, and some would say Mark was written predominantly to a Roman audience, and Luke was written predominantly to a Greek or Gentile audience. John was written to the broadest of all audiences, and it was written quite a bit later than the original three Gospels. And it was written with a specific purpose to encourage the church and to build up the church. And it has an emphasis on belief, on the word believe, which appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. And so that was John's purpose, that we would believe and that our belief would be strengthened. Um, Not only was it written later, it's also 90% unique. And so you might remember if you were uh, with us in week two and we looked at the Gospel of Mark, I made the claim that about 95% of the verses in the Gospel of Mark do appear in one of the other Gospels, in Matthew or Luke. Um, In John, it's almost the opposite. 90% of what we have in the Gospel of John is unique to John. And uh, he only has seven miracles that he relates to us, whereas the other Gospels have quite a few more. But what that does is it gives us greater detail and deeper insight into each of the stories that John does include, and they're quite a bit longer. Each section in the book of John might be several paragraphs, whereas in Mark's Gospel in particular, there's much shorter sections, but there are more of them included. And so that's why some scholars have said that the Gospel of John is the most personal account of Jesus's life and ministry. And as we're focusing today, it does present Jesus as the Son of God early and often. In fact, one of the most famous verses or statements in all of Scripture, let alone all of literature, is John 3.16 that focuses on Jesus as the Son of God. And so you're familiar with those verses most likely that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so that verse encapsulates much of what we'll be talking about today, but I actually want to back up a little bit from John 3:16 and look at a passage from John chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up. These verses will also be on the screen behind me. And I'll read this passage, and then we'll look at uh, several of the verses in greater detail. John 1, 14, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Picking up verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. 
No one, oh, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so I want to back up and I want to look at verse 14 uh, to begin with. And this, this section comes um, from the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which is the prologue. And so it's kind of setting the table and setting up what's going to take place. And interestingly enough, uh, a lot of times people will share that, you know, if you're a new believer, you should read the Gospel of John. And I do that. I say that often. Uh, but I usually now will preface that by saying, Skip the first 18 verses if you've never read a gospel, if you've never read the Bible. Skip the first 18 verses because they'll be a little hard to understand if you don't have any context for them. Instead, read from verse 19 on through the end of the gospel of John and then come back and read verses 1 through 18. Because if you have a faith story and you've spent some time in church and you understand the big picture of the Bible, those first 18 verses will make a lot of sense and help set up the, tape, the story that takes place in the rest of the Gospel of John. But if you don't have that context, they can be a little bit confusing. You're talking about light and darkness and the Word and how does all that fit together? And it becomes a lot clearer after you've understood the Gospel of John. So that's the part that we're looking at right now. And John is saying these are the most important things for you to understand as you read the Gospel of John. So that's why we're focusing on this. And I want to encourage you to be reading uh, the Gospels, reading, t- spending time reading God's Word each day. And maybe you want to spend some time in the Gospel of John following this message. But verse 14 tells us that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And there's a couple of things we need to understand here. First, the word is Jesus. That's why it's capitalized, because it's referring to Jesus as the pre-incarnate word of God, the self-revelation of God becoming the human revelation of God. And it says that this word, Jesus, who was eternal before us and will be eternal after us, this word became flesh and took this moment in time. So eternity past and eternity present, there is Jesus as the word of God. And there's this block of 33 years in the midst of that eternal timeline where Jesus took on flesh and became one of us. And God himself in the person of Christ took on human flesh. Andy Stanley is one of my favorite pastors and he says that Jesus is God in a bod. God in a bod. God taking on a body and becoming one of us and living a human existence, which we focused on a little bit in last week's message that Jesus was the son of man, that he was fully human. And that's why we celebrate Christmas so much, because it's this event of God coming down and being God with us, Emmanuel. And it tells us not only did he just come to visit, but he made his dwelling among us. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The, the word picture there is that he pitched his tent with us or pitched his tent among us. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that as God led the people of, of Israel out of Egypt, as he led the Hebrew people out of Egypt, he went before them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And when they came into the promised land, there was a tabernacle that was set up to represent God's presence among his people. And as they wandered in the desert, there was a tabernacle that was God's presence. It was God pitching his tent with his people at that time. Now Jesus comes and makes his dwelling among us 
in the beginning of the Gospel of John. And the imagery um, is that of God taking up residence and residing. In fact, Eugene Peterson in the Message Translation said that God moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus Christ, that he came and lived with us. And the beautiful thing about this progression of God being, a, his presence being in a tent in the Old Testament, now Jesus living among us and taking up residence among us, he says before he leaves and goes back into heaven that he will send the Holy Spirit to not just live among us, but to live within us. That the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside us, not just next door, but now is inside us. The Holy Spirit is God within us. And Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so we become that residing place or that dwelling place of God himself through the Holy Spirit taking up residence in us. So this is all really big, important stuff to understand. But not only is Jesus coming and making his dwelling among us, verse 14 tells us we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what that means, that glory of the one and only, is that Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father here on earth in human flesh. And that that father-son relationship is seen nowhere more clearly than it is seen in the Gospel of John. That he was the Son of God that he was in a perfect father-son relationship with God the entire time that he was here on earth. In fact, the ESV translates this phrase as the glory as of the only son from the father. And it's the same word that we translate in the King James Version of John 3.16, that God's only begotten son. And that's really important because Jesus was not just the son of God. He was the only son of God. He was unique in all of creation, in all of time, past and present. He was the eternal son of God, the uncreated one who came to be among us. He was one of a kind. And that's what that word begotten means. It's not the same as as created. You see, when you create something, you create something other than yourself. But if you beget something, you beget something that is of the same nature as yourself. And so God, in the person of Jesus Christ, is is begetting himself into this human form. And that's really important to understand because God created us in his image, but he begot Jesus. And to think of this another way, I can create sermons, I can create videos and post them on Facebook, I can create writings, I can create art, it's not much to look at. But the only things that I have ever begotten are Keaton, Ryan, Owen, and Carson. They are of the very same essence as me. And the same is true in that relationship between God and Jesus as the Son of God. And the last phrase there of verse 14 tells us that he came full of grace and truth. And this is expanded upon by John in verses 16 and 17. But I want to point back to last week when we talked about Jesus being fully human and fully divine. That he's truly human and truly divine. That he is 100% human and 100% divine. And the same relationship takes place in his inclination towards us through grace and in the truth that he brings as the eternal word of God. So verse 16 and 17 help us to flesh that out a little bit 
if you will. Because in verse 16 we read, From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. And some scripture versions will translate as grace upon grace. That we receive one blessing after another or we receive grace upon grace upon grace in this person of Jesus Christ from the fullness of his grace. And then verse 17 can continues that thought for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came from Jesus Christ so what's John saying there well from the fullness of God's grace and the fullness of Christ's grace we have all received one blessing after another the law came first that was the old testament period of time was very centered upon the law and you might say that the law was pretty heavy on truth and a little light on grace. And so John is saying that there is a new paradigm, and we've talked about this consistently throughout this series, that there's a new paradigm that comes in with the person of Jesus Christ. And now we get grace and truth perfectly merged together. And Jesus presents to us the grace of God fully united with the truth of God. He graciously reveals through his truth, the law's requirements. And that was the purpose of the law. It was to show us our need for a Savior. It was show us our need for God in our lives and a relationship with him. In fact, one way of thinking of this that's really helpful to me is to view the law as sort of like maybe an x-ray. What do I mean by that? Well, in 2014, uh, we got a really good deal on a pair of scooters. You know, the little two-wheel scooters with the little handles that kids love to ride on. And they came, and we got them. And uh, right the day after they came, we went on a two-and-a-half-week trip. We left our home in West Virginia, and we drove up to Anderson, Indiana, and went to a conference there, and then drove on out to my parents' house in Newcastle, Wyoming, down to Casper, where we had lived before that, and made our way back. It was a 4,500-mile trip at the beginning of summer. And it was two-and-a-half weeks, and we had an absolute blast. Well, the day after we got back, the kids wanted to ride those scooters. So I put the scooters together, and they took off on the scooters, and we went around the neighborhood, and, and uh, we came up to the top, and they were getting pretty good. And uh, one of my sons, I won't name them necessarily, just in case Keaton would be embarrassed, um, took off down the big hill. And as soon as he took off down the big hill, I had one of those moments as a parent where you just saw it coming. And I just started to cringe. And I said, Keaton, slow down. And just as I said, Keaton, slow down, who knows? Maybe it was my fault. The handlebars turned, and that little tiny wheel this big around turned to a 90-degree angle, and he went over the handlebars and uh, broke at the fall with his wrist. And we went to the hospital, and they got us an X-ray. And the x-ray is, it should be on the screen now. You can see there's a problem in the bottom third there inside that red circle. And the neat thing about the x-ray to think about and to relate this to the Old Testament word of God and how the law served to show us the problem is the x-ray did not heal him. The x-ray did not make his arm whole, but it did show the doctor what was wrong. And it showed the doctor where and how to fix what was wrong. And so our, seven, our, our $25 scooter turned into a $1,725 scooter, and he got several more x-rays, and he got a cast, and he was, he's back to normal. And without that x-ray, his arm would not have healed correctly, and we would have known how to d- 
to address the situation. And the same is true with God's law. It shows us our need for a Savior. It shows us where we have fallen short. And it tells us that we have all fallen short. But Jesus comes and brings the perfect union of God's grace and truth forever in Jesus Christ, his one and only Son. And that, my friends, is really, really good news. And this truth is in view not just at the beginning of the Gospel of John, but also at the end of the Gospel of John. If you want to flip forward to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I want to read these verses to you and I'll also jump ahead to John 21 for a second. They'll all be on the screen behind me. But in John 20, verse 30, John is kind of wrapping things up and he makes this statement that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So he acknowledges the limitations of his gospel and of gospels in general, that they are an account, but they do not describe everything that took place and every way that it impacted the people that that. Uh, that witnessed it or that experienced it. He says something similar in John 21, verse 25. He says the same thing. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Think about that for a second. That reminds me of a lyric from one of my favorite old hymns, Uh, It's this hymn called The Love of God, and maybe it's already come to mind for you. But listen to these words that that were maybe penned even from this verse. Say, could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. What a beautiful image of the love of God and the, the, what that love of God has accomplished on our behalf. And so John is setting this up in verse 30 and referencing it again in, in 21 verse 25. But listen to verse 31. We get one of these powerful changes where he shifts the, shifts the perspective or he shifts directions on us. He says in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, but, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that word but is an important word in this, in this passage because it changes directions. He's saying, yeah, he did a lot of other stuff, but these, this gospel, what we have been looking at, what we have been considering, these things were written so that, so that you would believe. That you would move beyond intellectual knowledge, which is the Greek word gnosko, to actual belief, which is the Greek word pistuio. And it means to rely upon, to cling to, to trust in, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we would believe, that we would rely upon, cling to, and trust in that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we would have life in his name. It's the difference between believing that and believing in. 
We, we can believe that something happened, but when we believe in and we put our faith in and we put our trust in and we rely upon that truth and that truth alone for our eternal salvation, then we have moved from knowledge to belief. And the purpose of that belief is that we would have life, that we would have life and have eternal life in and through and because of the great name of Jesus Christ. So again, this is John 3.16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that leads us into our bottom line for today for the gospel of John. The bottom line is that the son of God became one of us so that all of us could become the children of God. That the son of God became one of us became human, took on flesh, revealed the glory of God in human form so that all of us, every single one of you that are watching this and every single person that you will look into the eyes of today or any day into the future, all of us could become children of God. And so your homework is to read John 21. If you don't do anything else, read John 21 and see how Jesus God himself, full of grace and truth, in his resurrected form, visits Peter, the same Peter who denied him three times, and restores him and brings grace to him. Not denying the truth of what happened, but marrying grace and truth together so that Peter could be restored. And don't forget the whole purpose of all of this is that you may believe, even in the face of evil and suffering, that you may believe, even in the face of coronavirus and isolation, that you may believe, even in the face of an economy that is very uncertain, and in maybe unemployment or underemployment or change in income, that you may believe, even in the face of illness, that you may believe and that you may have life in his name. You see, the Son of God came and became one of us so that all of us could become the children of God. And the good news doesn't stop there. The good news does not stop there because He is coming back. He is returning and He will make all things new and He will wipe away every tear and there will be no death, and there will be no viruses, and there will be no unemployment, and there will be no financial uncertainty. Our current world is not the final version, and this current reality is not permanent. Our ultimate hope is in the person of Jesus Christ and in his coming return. And he speaks about this. Some of the last words in Scripture comfort us in a time like this. As Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21 tell us, He will return. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. That's quoting Jesus. Those are red letters. And we who receive that promise say, Yes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And John, as he closes out the book of Revelation, says these words to us, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. He will return. He will right every wrong and he will usher in the best possible world so we can draw strength 
We can draw encouragement. We can put our hope in that today. So I want to encourage you to respond in faith as we move into a time of worship and bring this service to a close. I want you to respond in faith right where you are and take these next few moments to pray a prayer, to write out an affirmation, to ask God, what are you saying specifically to me right now? To send a text, someone that's on your heart, and encourage them. This is a time to respond in faith if you have no relationship with Jesus Christ. If, you, if somebody shared this link with you and you're hearing all of this for the first time, we want to encourage you. Send us a message. Let us know how we can be praying with you. Let us know what questions you might have. Or if you know you're ready, that today is the day of salvation for you, that you can say a prayer acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he is and that you are a sinner separated from God by your sin but that Jesus has paid the penalty for that sin. And you can accept that, and you can receive that grace, and you can be welcomed into the family of God today. However God is speaking to you, respond in faith to him, and bow with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you are the Son of God, and that you came to visit us, and to be with us, and to live among us, and to bring God to us, so that you could bring us to God. We thank you and we praise you for who you are and for what you have done and for the opportunity that we have to respond in faith to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.